Hey, everybody, this is Karen Stefano, and with me tonight is Mike Scalise, author of the fabulous new memoir, The Brand New Catastrophe. Mike, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Hey, um, I I wanted you to know I I saw you at AWP, and you were on an up escalator, and I was across a crowd in a down escalator and saying hi would have involved screaming over the heads of hundreds. And so <laughs> I just gave you like a, a, a silent nod of, of, of hello. So I, <laughs> I think I may have seen you as well. Uh, yeah, I think I may have seen you as well. I, 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 I think that's sort of um, for a lot of people who have social anxiety and I don't always count myself among them. Um, I think for AW, at AWP, those sort of escalator run-ins are, are things that they <laughs> secretly cherish. Uh, you know, it, but it, they happen so often because, uh, you know, the book fair is just this sort of, I don't know, like a hell mouth of people that just go in and out at all times. And there's always just an escalator that where you, where you see like five or six people. Um, and in a way, it kind of like allows you to index your your life for the last ten years. It's usually somebody you've known from like a year ago, and then two years ago, and then somebody from grad school, uh, and then perhaps somebody before then. So you know, the escalators at AWP are always um, they always have a trail of history to them. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it was a weird AWP for me. Um, I you know the, the social anxiety thing. Um, I was kind of you know, I felt, I don't think I showed it, um, but I just felt kind of like erratic on my interior. Like I'd have, I like, I'd feel massive social anxiety one minute and then I'd feel fantastic the next. And then I, then I'd go back into the massive social anxiety thing. And, um, uh, why do you but, think yeah, that was? So, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, the, the only thing I can guess is that I've, you know, I'm coming off a really deep, deep, prolonged, you know, wonderful period of being at my desk in my little writing room, not talking to anybody. And, um, and so it's a pretty big switch, you know, to go from not talking yeah. to anybody all day and, and then, um, you know, and then going to AWP. So that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I have a friend who, who said that this past AWP was really difficult for him as well. He had just come out of a residency and um, he was like, I had gotten used to, to not being in the middle of a throng of people and having to sort of scream everything that I say over a hotel bar. Um, and I think it's, a, I think it was a bit of a shift. Um, you seem to have recovered well, though. Well, well, thank you. Well, thank you. Except for uh, the massive um, AWP flu cold, but um, I'm I'm on the mend there. So, uh, well, listen. Can I get you to to begin this evening by reading to us from the brand new catastrophe? Sure, sure. Um, I will read. Let's say I'll read the first page or two from the prologue of the book. Um, okay. Is that fine? Yeah, okay. that's the name, uh The title of the prologue is uh, A Fraction of a Fraction of a Fraction. 
telling a good catastrophe anecdote means becoming a maestro of sympathy. People's reactions to these kinds of stories usually involve some defense mechanism, a tilting or nodding of the head, a crinkling of the brow, or the low-toned repetition of words, phrases like, wow, holy shit, oh no, sounds horrible, or, and this is one to watch out for, I'm just really glad you're okay. As the teller of the anecdote, the conductor of an experience, this is the wrong place to be. Any of those responses indicates that you've made yourself pitiable, taking your eye and hostage. This is where they're likely to go on conversational autopilot or retreat into head nodding while they try to figure out what role to play in your I had an awful thing happen to me story. The trick to keeping them engaged is to focus on the oddities and ironies that would seem incredible and ridiculous in any context, not just that of your disaster. For instance, the name of the doctor who discovered my brain tumor, Sunshine. He had heard all the jokes. Of course he had. We met during hour six of an ER stay in Brooklyn at a training hospital affiliated with an unremarkable university. I admitted myself to what I thought was a migraine, an undodgeable wave-like cloud of pain that, for the past nine hours, had swished slowly to all ends of my brain. Sunshine was young and square-jawed and introduced himself the way I imagined he greeted every new face, with a stiff handshake and a pursed tone that braced him like a boxer for every quip that swung back at him. He held the results of my CT scan, taken hours earlier. There's a mask on your brain, he said. Then he curled his forefinger and thumb into a circle that in any other context would mean A-OK. We'll get a proper MRI first thing tomorrow, he told me. We'll know more then. Is it the C word, I asked? Don't know yet. Am I going to die? Don't know that yet either. I don't have insurance, I said. Let's not worry about that right now, he told me. A hard surge tumbled along the banks of my skull. Look, just get it out, I told him. You go grab a melon baller and get it the fuck out. I'll stop there. Oh, that's uh incredible um i i love that prologue it was like um bam and you're you're sucked in as a reader and uh oh, thank you. you you don't ever stop you can't yeah you don't you can't stop um so um mike tell, go ahead and tell uh tell us i mean this is not a, a spoiler alert by any by any means, um, uh, what your what your diagnosis uh, was that came out of that that trip to the ER? Sure, uh, it was a little bit complicated. So um, the headache I had was actually a tumor that had ruptured on my pituitary gland, um, and it basically. Uh, it basically spiked the amount of human growth hormone or HGH that my body was producing for about, you know, for about a year and a half leading up to the tumor's rupture. That condition is called acromegaly and a version of which, um, uh, you know, very famous giants have like Andre the Giant or, uh, or Tony Robbins or, or uh, George Mirasan, uh, the, the former basketball player. 
So that was one portion of the condition that I was unaware of until I got to the ER. And then after the rupture happened, um, my pituitary gland was sort of shorted out. So I went from having too many hormones um, to not being able to produce any hormones whatsoever, which is called hypopituitarism. Um, and the, the combination of that, those two conditions with the fact that I was 24 years old at the time made me a sort of rare case. Uh, and so the book sort of looks at both ends of the disease, the, the having the two hormones, uh, having the too many hormones and then having no hormones at all. Um, and in between that, uh, are a series of sort of reflections about, you know, um, coming of age tropes or, or, you know, storytelling tropes or a family story that kind of emerges as, as, as the book goes on between uh, myself and my mother primarily, but also my father, my brother, and, and my eventual wife in, in the book as well. So um, it's sort of a part illness memoir and a, and a part um, uh, family story, but also a kind of part coming of age tale, which made it such a wonderful pitch to publishers because of that concision. Um, <laughs> but that's it, yeah. So that's basically what we spend the, the book doing is sort of examining, you know, the way we tell illness stories uh, and how it affects the people around them. Uh, everybody says, everybody knows that uh, a memoir lives or dies on the strength of its voice. And um, that was definitely what struck me about your book was, was the voice. Um, as everybody heard there, just with the first couple of pages in the uh, uh, prologue, it's, it's punchy and it's funny um, about some not so funny topics. And right. um, it really did hit me hard right off. And then you stunned me, though, by maintaining that voice throughout the whole book. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, how did you, how did you manage to do that? How did you learn to develop that, that punch on the page? Well, I think what drew me most to writing um, at a really sort of formative age, we're very voice-driven writers. Um, I'm a huge Kurt Vonnegut fan, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, you could basically, you know, hand me a, a, a grocery list that Kurt Vonnegut wrote, and I would listen to it. You know, you, you don't necessarily read Kurt Vonnegut as so much as you listen to it. It's how he starts Slaughterhouse-Five. It's listen. Um, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. And so that was always the kind of, that was my introduction to writing in a way that was um, very wide and, and capable. Uh, and, and I was, I was always on the hunt for, for books that had this sort of motor of, of a really kind of powerful voice. So I remember I moved from Vonnegut to, you know, every, every, you know, young male writer's David Foster Wallace phase and, and Wallace was somebody who who also sort of uh, had this primary motor of a voice but then I also found Lori Moore and then you know you also find mm -hmm. Colson Whitehead and you also find you know all these other writers and I, I found I, that in my early years I was this writer who was trying to sort of bounce from voice to voice and writer to writer in a way to sort of figure out how my voice would work on a page and I think the answer to that question is that um, 
you know, you try out a lot of stuff before you find a voice on the page that sounds like the voice in your head. And once you find it, you need to do two things. One is sort of present it in a way that feels authentic and real to you. And the other is you also kind of have to interrogate that voice, which was really important for me to in this book. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I just have a, an incoming call. But uh, anyway, what I was saying is that, you know, you have to find the voice, but then you, you, have, to, you have to also sort of uh, interrogate it, which is, is the mission I set for myself with this book. Because it starts with a, um, it starts with a very confident um, young man's voice and sort of ends with a, somebody in their mid-30s kind of asking what that confidence was about. Um, and so voice consist- consistency for me at that, at that stage was a way to show progression. So if you have somebody leading off by sort of telling you how to tell a disaster story and then end with somebody questioning what that disaster story means, then um, you have a sort of natural progression of that voice that, that, that becomes a little bit more reflective and, 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 and a little bit more uh, probing of, of, of early confidences, we'll say. So for me, it was always uh, oh, uh, the voice in this book, in, in this particular project, was a way to sort of uh, set a tone and then interrogate that tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I like I, I like uh, the uh, the motor analogy very very much. Um, and your 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 motor was 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 strong um, throughout. <laughs> uh, um, so one one thing that I wanted to ask you too, um, in the process of writing great memoirs, the the writer often stumbles upon unexplored emotional territory and I wanted to know to what degree if at all that happened to you um, you know did you sit down to try to write about one thing or to explore one theme and then wind up writing about and exploring something else altogether um, because I, I imagine you sat down to write about your your young life being hijacked by this illness um but what what i want to know is did you when you sat down to write did you plan for your mother to feature so prominently in the book (laughs) you are uh very perceptive no um (laughs) that is a situation where just like you described um you know certain the way the way that makes most sense to me to put it is uh, that's where the life of the story was, whether or not mm-hmm. I had any control over it. Um, mm-hmm. I originally sought out to kind of write um, a very impersonal book. Um, I wanted to write a narrative biography of Andre the Giant. Um, I knew that that for whatever reason, you know, I I sort of I'd been a journalist and and, and I, I really sort of. Um, you know, I, I really sort of wanted to move my career in the direction of long-form journalism. And then this happened to me, and, and, it, and it seemed that uh, regardless of whatever project I set out on, uh, uh, you know, my brain tumor, which is sort of 
jump in the way, you know, I'd always would sort of stick its head in front of the camera, you know, and I, and I, and I wasn't able to sort of move towards any other project. It, it just had this kind of gravity that pulled me towards it. So I, I remember thinking like, well, if I have to write about this, then I'm going to write about Andre the Giant and it's going to be a biographical exercise that I, in some sort of limited first-person capacity, can kind of interrupt every so often and be like, here's how it really is. Um, and I thought maybe, you know, uh, that, it, that it might borrow a little bit from the mode of Into the Wild, how Into the Wild sort of tells Christopher McCandless's story, but John Krakow interrupts every so often to be like, you know, I was a kid just like he was, and, and here's what it was like for me, and maybe this will provide a little bit of insight into Christopher McCandless's story. And I'd hoped to do a similar thing for Andre the Giant, but it failed. Um, it, it failed wildly for a number of reasons. In one of them, it's because, you know, there was unresolved emotional territory, as you, as you explained. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that, you know, that's where the writing pulled me. So as much as I wanted to sort of sketch out the details of another person's life, um, the most interesting writing and the most sort of electric and kind of kinetic writing came from these interactions that I would have primarily with my mother, but also, you know, with, 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 you know, my wife and, and my brother and, you know, a family story, uh, emerged. Um, and I realized that I needed to put myself at the center of the story, um, which, you know, I was very re- reluctant to do for a really long time. Um, but once I did, all the things that I wanted to do um, as a journalist fell into place. Uh, you know, once I was able to say, okay, well, this story is going to be about me. Uh, it's going to be in part about me and my mother and the strange competition of illnesses that we entered uh, for a period of time. Um, but it's also going to be about the history of my condition, um, the sociocultural aspects of that condition, and um, and largely a kind of reflection on, on, on what it means to, to endure catastrophe. Um, and that stuff all became much more, much more easy to access once I gave over to the emotional electricity of the, the, the story with my mother and my family. But you put up a fight at first. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I, like, everything like I just say, yeah, everything I just said is like, a very writery sort of smart, hope, hopefully smart sounding way to just say like, I really just didn't want to write about my mom. Um, was just really, you sounded, you sounded very smart. You sounded very smart, Mike. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. I really, I rehearsed that in my brain. Um, so yeah, I was just sort of like, damn it. I, I really don't want to write about this. You know, I, I like, like, you know, my mom's a very present, you know, she's very present in my life currently, and I don't, you know, I don't want to introduce this. This is a very hard time in her life, as as well it was for mine. So, I mean, there were a number of reasons I just didn't want to get into it. Um, sure. But for the book to be to materialize, I I kind of had to. Um, yeah. So that just you know that became a thing that that I needed to figure out a way to navigate with, with sensitivity and and a kind of generosity and. It, in, in grace, I hope. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it was not a place that I, I, I wanted to be. It was just, yeah. um, you know, it was, I, I, I went into that aspect of the book, kicking and screaming. 
Yeah. Did you um, ever, you know, kind of, kind of question, um, am I being, am I being fair here? No. Yeah, I no? questioned it every single day. Yeah, no, it was like the only <laughs> thing I thought about for the two years that I wrote it. It's just, just this like this like cloud of worry that kind of follows you as you're writing this project, where you're just sort of like, okay, well, you're doing this thing where you're essentially airing everybody's dirty laundry from the yeah. very worst periods of their life, you know, yeah. and you know, you constantly ask yourself, like, to what end are you doing this, and is it worth it to put everybody through this, you know, and a lot of people when they talk about these things, there's a tendency to go to to sort of lean into grandiose statements about what it means to have a book out. But like, I always kind of thought, well, the way publishing is, no one's going to read this book anyway, except for the people I've written about. (laughs) So it's going to be this closed circuit of people in my mind, we're going to have a very strong reaction to what's, you know, a 70,000 word letter written about them, you know? Um, right. So my fear while I was writing it, it was just sort of like, are, you know, are, are there, are there psychological reasons that you have not explored that lead you to sort of encounter these problems in this way? Um, this it makes everything I've just said makes it sound like I have a grand, brilliant answer for any of those things, but I don't. I just knew that like I needed to write the story and get it out in a way. I felt like if I didn't, that it was going to be something that stood in my way um, for the remainder of of my writing career, and um, and so I just kind of hoped that the end product would be something that um, the people who are featured in in it uh, could live with or that it could be an opportunity for us to begin to have a conversation about some of the things we had not talked about to that point. Um, but yeah, I constantly worried about that. And some of those worries, <clears throat> excuse me, some of those worries have, have proven to, to not really um, been all that big of a deal. Uh, but then some have not, you know, uh, you know, different people react in different ways to this kind of thing. And, and, I think I kind of realized towards the end of the process that um, the weird thing is not their reaction to being being written about. The weird thing is that you have chosen to write about these people in a book while they're alive and publish it. So however anybody in that position chooses to react to that information, I feel is, is the right way to react. Um, if the people in my life who appear in this book are upset about that, then that is the right way to react. If they're happy about that, that is the right way to react. Um, because I'm the person who made the choice to write it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I impose this on them, not the other way around. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I do. Um, well, and that, 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 Segues me to your um, then then girlfriend in the earlier part of the book and now wife Lauren. Um, she's yeah. um, she's all over this book and um, you know. Do you mind me asking how how does she feel about that? Not that I don't think she's portrayed in an unflattering light in in any way, shape, or form. Quite the contrary. 
but but it's still you know there's some pretty personal scenes um where yeah. you're you know you're you're the star of the scene or um you know and she's um you know uh, or maybe she's the star of the scene or she's at least you know strong supporting role um and i'm just right. curious how she felt about that um my wife is um my wife says, you know, she's a very sort of private person. She's an introvert. She's somebody who is like on social media, but never shares anything. Um, like one of those people <laughs> who has like a Twitter account, but has never actually sent a tweet, you know? Um, and so uh, it was really hard for her. It was, you know, it, it, it was, um, you know, I early on, she came to a reading of mine where I, 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 I read a bit about, um, the period in the book where I, or I, I go off testosterone. Um, and that features, you know, that features some, some sex scenes. And, uh, I don't, you know, she had known that that was in the essay. I always sort of run everything I write about her by her. Um, partly to sort of get a blessing, but partly to sort of run my version of events past her version of events to make sure that um, the events are represented in the best way they could be. You know, there are very often times where I, you know, I have an active memory and or an imagination that, that sort of shapes that memory. And she'll go, no, it mm-hmm. wasn't like that at all, you know, and then we'll find a happy medium. Um, you know, which is also kind of fun to reference while you're writing, you know, like I remember it one way, but my wife remembers it this way and it creates a nice little um, thing where you can kind of talk about subjectivity. But, you know, I, so, you know, I showed her the, the, the parts of this essay and she knew the reading was coming up and I don't think um, that she anticipated what the reality would be like to have to be in a room with, I don't know, 25, 30 people while I stood at a podium and read a version of our sex life to a bunch of near strangers. Um, And afterwards she was like, ah, I don't know if I like this at all. Um, (laughs) So I had to be aware of it, you know, and and like I said, that's the right response to have. Um, So she, you know, I just have to, whenever I write something, I just have to be um, mindful of, a, writing something that was true to the experience, but also, B, like, maintaining a marriage. Um, like, yeah. it's, very pra- yeah. it's very practical, where it's just sort of like, um, you know, there are some scenes in that book that did undergo some revisions because, uh, you know, because Lauren was like, look, how important is it that X, Y, and Z is in here? Um and, and and so it was it was a constant discussion and sometimes I would fight for things and sometimes she would fight for things and we always just sort of defaulted to the you know what what was the most accurate rendering of it uh for both of us. And um and and in that sense it was a a nice marriage exercise that I can look back on it with a kind of fondness, but at the time it was very difficult. <laughs> for yeah, her and no it, it, it me you know her you know she's not connected to the writing world at all and and um you know she's just somebody who i think is 
even if I wasn't on a podcast right now, Karen, I would say that my wife is is is, is somebody who um, has a reservoir of patience with a lot of people, me included. That is pretty um, it's pretty remarkable, and and I think she's just uh, you know she emptied the reservoir for this book. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that. Having having read that, and um, and I definitely. Uh, uh, got the sense from, uh, you know, getting to know her, you know, pretty intimately on, on the page that she, mm-hmm. you know, she's an immensely uh, generous and patient uh, person. So, um, well, she, she so only uh, let me write the generous and patient scene. <laughs> that was it. She um, was like, well, she, you can only show me what I know. No, it's just, yeah, well, it's, you know, I have kind of like this, 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 this voyeuristic interest because, um, you know, I've been a fiction writer and then the last couple of years I've been wrestling, trying to write um, uh, a, a memoir and, um, you know, prominently featured in the memoir is my, um, my college boyfriend of 30 years ago with whom I've reconnected and now. Oh, wow. Us. And yeah, and um, wait, what? And, yeah, <laughs> I know a little bit about this because we know each other outside of this. But is yeah. is the memoir yeah. about that reconnection? Um, that's that becomes a piece of it, just because it's you know uh, uh, a theme of the book is how you know nothing in life uh, happens the way we plan it, and uh, uh, you know we certainly didn't think that we would be. Uh, you know, rekindling our relationship, uh, you know, 30 years out into the future. But um, but it's primarily about um, some stuff that went down in when I was in college, and um, and he was he was there, uh, you know, on a on a daily basis at the time, and so I was just, you know, and and sometimes uh, did not behave in a flattering light, and uh, <laughs> and you know I was right. I was you know. Um, you know, he's a 20 year old kid. So I, you know, I give him, uh, you know, some, uh, a lot of credit for, for dealing as well as he could with some, with some very difficult situations. But, you know, one of the reasons I was so, you know, interested to ask you about Lauren is just because, you know, having kind of gone through it myself, you know, showing him, you know, early drafts of my book, I was just, you know, shitting myself about what he was going to, you know, think and what yeah how's that going so far have you should have you showed um, it to him i have and um you know he too is uh showing a you know a, a, a reservoir of generosity and saying you know don't sugarcoat anything you know don't hold back this is your baby this is your book do it and you know god bless him god bless him for it but it's kind of fun too because when you're looking back at things that happened 30 years ago, um, you kind of wonder about your own memory. And so it's, so, it, yeah. you know, in terms of some like little details, it's, it's really satisfying to hear the person say, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Oh my God. I remember that. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, right. just, it's kind of, a, it's a hoot, but it's, um, you know, it's definitely do, dangerous do you find- territory too. Do you do you find that um, having somebody to sort of verify or refute those claims from 30 years ago makes it easier to write about that time or more difficult? Like, would you have 
would you have, do you think you would have embarked on the same project had you not had the reconnection? Um, yeah, I think, I think I would have, um, I didn't know. It sort of called you to it. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that reconnection was going to happen when I started out working on, on the book. So, um, so that's just kind of one of life's funny little twists, but yeah, it's. And, it's, and, and it's, the, it's, the fact that he's part of your life now, does, does that make it easier to write about that part of your life? Um, I, I mean, yes and, yes and no. I mean, it's it, it's nice to have, you know, somebody who was there to say, you know, yeah, I don't remember that at all, or, you know, you're remembering this wrong, or kind of kind of calling me out on it. But it's just, it feels deeply um, uh, awkward and... Uh, you know, naked to be, you know, to be talking about this person with whom, like you, like you said, you know, you're trying to maintain a marriage, you know, I'm trying to maintain a relationship too. And so, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it can be, it can be kind of, it can be fraught, but, um, you know, stay stay tuned. I mean, so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it goes against the kind of, I don't know, there's a, I, I don't know if this was like this for you, but I remember in my graduate program, for instance, um, there was a faculty member uh, who was on staff there. He has, he has since passed on. But at the time, he told everybody in my program that if they were in a relationship, that it would not survive their writing career. Oh, wow. And a number a number of people in my program actually like exited their long term relationships at that point. Um and really believed that um that that was that was it. Like that like that you have to sort of be married to the work and that your relationship just by default um is going to suffer in order for you to do the, the baseline things you need to do to make um to create literature, let's put it that way. Um, and I don't know about you, but I was kind of found, I was like, I don't know, I, I like being married to who I'm married to. She's pretty great. Um, we get along, like, all the time. And uh, I think I can do both. You know, I think I can do both. And there was always this sort of, like, reemergence of that, um, of, of that mindset. And it didn't always come from the same person. It would come in different ways where like you would enter into a, you know, or you, you would see people sort of struggling with it in a lot of ways and in, in, in putting this choice upon themselves of whether or not they had to choose between their relationship or their art, uh, for lack of a better term. And I, you know, for me, I was always mindful of like, no, there, there's going to be both, both make me happy. I'm going to do both. Um, and so very often you find yourself in, in, in situations that wouldn't please the sort of artfully pure um, or that wouldn't please the people who prior, prioritize marriage above all else. And, and it's a weird place for a writer to be, um, I think. It's, it's, you know, especially with a, with a nonfictional project where you have to sort of incorporate that person. You know, it's, it's strange. It's strange in... No, it's it, it it is. It's 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 no person should be put in that position, you know. Um, but 
uh, yet yet we do it to ourselves and um, and uh, we we you know we wouldn't have it any other way as complicated as it is but even if even yeah. in a non uh, even in a fictional setting um, or you know the writing life it's you know it's it's a kind of a selfish existence in a lot of ways. Yep. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, I, I feel sorry for the, the boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives uh, who, who have to tolerate us even when we're not writing about them. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. I, you know, Lauren always kind of has this joke where she's just sort of like, every time I hang out with writers, I just want to wear a pin that says no genre. Um, because they only think about, you know, they, they're always, they always approach her and they just say, well, what do you write? Are you a poet or are you a fiction writer or are you a journalist? And she'll just be like, no, I, you know, I work in city government. And that always sort of like transforms the dynamic of the conversation, but you're right. I mean, like, um, I, you know, I don't want to get us both in trouble, but it, like, I, I totally agree with you that it, it can be in some situations a very self-concerned community. And, yeah. um, well and, you know, with everybody reminding one another that they should empathize. And like, it, <laughs> to have like, to be married to a non-writer is, is it, it's, it's a very interesting experiment. Let's just put it that way. And what, and how that sort of self-concern reshapes when that person is in the room or whatever. Um, it's always been something that I, I, I've enjoyed quite a bit. Um, is the, but even, even though my wife, I don't think really does. I mean, she's, she's got friends right now that are writers that um, were, if I wasn't around, she, she could, you know, she, she, I know that she considers them her personal friends as well, but uh that wasn't always the case. And she was not always somebody who really enjoyed hanging around those types of people. Um, it, which is to say people like you and me. Um, yeah. So it, it's I know, I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to um, self purpose your phrase, self concern. That's my new favorite phrase. So I'm stealing it. <laughs> Um, okay, well, so now before we both get into trouble, I'm going to gently steer uh, the conversation um, to a different topic. And in fact, this is going to be the last question I have for you, because uh, as with every one of these podcasts that I do, the time absolutely flies and it's about time for us to wrap it up. And okay. um, and it's with a little bit of trepidation that I asked you this question, because um, uh, on my last podcast with... Um, Carol Firstman a couple of weeks ago, um, she made me cry. Um, in, oh no! With her answer, yes, I know. So if I get weepy, um, too bad. Uh, but no, she no, she literally reduced me to tears. So um, and so um, so it's my my last question for you, um, and I'm stealing here from the New York Times um, book review interviews, and uh, this was. Uh, a question that I always read and read the answers to, um, but I never felt that it was really that relevant um, for the last eight or so years, but now it seems really, really vital. Um, if you could require uh, our president to read one book other than 
the brand new catastrophe. Um, uh, what 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 would it be? And uh, you know, tell us tell us why. Oh, um, well now I'm just thinking about what I could say to make you cry. <laughs> yeah. I can't. No, so here's the thing with this, okay? So we have a man who, who I, you know, he, certain people on in the media have questioned his ability to read, even. So the teacher in me wants to sort of set him up with a situation where he could sort of practice his fluency um, and really kind of get to grade level. Um, so I would sort of recommend starting with, um, you know, starting with some, some low grade novels, but working his way towards, towards middle grade. Um, and if he got to middle grade, uh, the thing that I would most recommend, I think, uh, was one of the books that sort of, uh, sort of pulled me towards, towards writing and what I could do, which was a, a wrinkle in time by Madeline Langle. Um, and for a number of reasons. One is I, is I, is I feel, um, it feels important for him to sort of, uh, the protagonist Meg is this really sort of capable, um, capable young woman who's, who's, who's emotionally complex. Um, and she sets out on what is essentially a mission where she has to encounter each hurdle that she crosses is, is sort of representative of a new difficult emotion. Um, at, on her way to full adulthood. Um, and I think that the person who occupies the seat in the current administration um, could really benefit not just from being introduced to what it means um, and how successful uh, uh, um, a female-led mission can be, but also what it means to, to sort of become an adult, learn to care about other people. Um, understand what compromise is, uh, understand what it's like to be part of a, a family in a community. Um, but also I just really would like for him, um, to, to be able to say, I, I started a book and finished it. Um, <laughs> like I, I have great hopes for him to one day beyond that terrible lie he tells about Hemingway being the only author he's ever read. Um, because everything he says sounds like he's a robot learning to be a man. Um, mm. That I would like for him to very earnestly said, I sat down with that, um, and I sounded out all the words when I when I when I encountered some difficulty, <laughs> and and I and I reached the end, and and you know what I think I'm going to move on to another book, uh, and I hope he goes to you know I would say here here's a wind in the door, and after that here's a swiftly tilting planet. Madeline Langle's wonderful, um, and my hope is that that that, that one day um, that idiot man um allows himself to encounter something like that that's my answer to that question awesome um um yeah uh, ab absolutely awesome um uh, and i and, and no tears for me today so that's so that's yeah all um, right that's good good for that's that's good for me so um well, Mike, with that, um, I will wrap it up with a huge, huge thank you. It's such a delight to talk to you. You're the best. 
And everybody who um, has not yet read this wonderful book, uh, get yourself the brand new catastrophe right away. It is it uh, it sucks you in from page one, and uh, it, it never lets you go. It's a wonderful book. Oh, thank you, Karen. This has been okay. wonderful. Thank okay. you for having me on. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Good night, Mike.